have a dream, this nation will rise up, live out the true meaning of its dream. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace. You want to be on the side of John Lewis or Bill Clinton? With all due respect, that's a bunch of malarkey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Democracy simply doesn't work. It's the Ricochet Podcast with Peter Robinson and Rob Long. I'm James Wilex. Today we talked to Stephen Parecki of the Washington Examiner about what the heck is going on everywhere. Let's have this over podcast. Welcome, everybody. It's the Ricochet Podcast, number 576. How do we get this far? Well, because of people like you, they say in public radio, who joined Ricochet. What? You haven't joined Ricochet? Do so now. Ricochet.com. You can be part of the most stimulating conversation and community as well on the web. It's the same place, and in these days, we need same places. I'm in the same place, currently, at least, in Minneapolis, where it's beautiful and snowy. Peter Robinson is in Balmy, California, and Rob Long, peregrinating as he does. Where have your... Uh, where have your journeys taken you today, Rob? Um, journeys have taken me just, just to in, in my own apartment here in New York City, just to in front of the uh, microphone. It was freezing earlier, and it's not freezing. It wasn't freezing um, yesterday, and it's not freezing today, although I'm told that it will be freezing on Sunday, which is like classic winter where you like and people from who are – my mother told me, was, hey, it's going to snow up there on Monday. It's going to snow here on Sunday, and it moves up. Well, freezing is a relative term. Of course, we had uh, our temperature advanced by about 58 degrees in the course of two or three days, so from 21 below to 38 to something above. So we're, we're having the full range of the meteorological experience. Now, right. gentlemen, let me put this to you. Have you ever had a rolling rock beer? I have, yes. Any okay. And on the back of the rolling rock beer is an enigmatic message. The people of the yes. Pacific Code for years. It's uh, uh, brewed in the glass-lined uh, tanks of Latrobe, etc., and then scrawled over it are the numbers 33, which some people believe is a, is a reference to prohibition. Some people believe is a reference to the number of words in the copy that was scrolled by somebody at the office and it made it into the final design. But it turns out that all those years ago, rolling rock beer was predicting the poll ratings of Joe Biden. Quinnipiac poll says the approval gets 33%. I'm asking you, do you think he can hit the 20s? Has anybody in our lifetime ever hit the 20s? I don't know whether, I don't know in, in, in modern polling. I mean, the problem is that the old, old polling wasn't as good as the modern polling is, and the modern polling, even the stuff that we read and we see, isn't as good as the stuff that um, that the president is getting because they spend more money. And they, you know, the more money you spend on polling, the better the number. I suspect that the number, his actual number, is so low internally that no one is really, no one wants to talk about it. I mean, if they, I mean, the weirdest thing is that when a, when a president is in such free fall as this one is, so so incredibly disastrous, you see it, you can tell it. There's this panic in that White House. There's a panic in the administration. There are people leaving. The people going to spend more time with their families, the people writing books, the people talking to the press. There's just all sorts of chaos. Um, I think this one might be so chaotic that there isn't even that. Well, Peter, let me Peter, let me ask you. Let me ask you this. Do you think is the speech that Joe Biden gave this week? Does that fit a man whose polls are are so deep in the septic system? 
that he's trying to reach out and build bridges. You have very beautifully put your finger on it, James. The polling is low. As Rob suggests, it's probably even lower on the good polls that they're seeing. And yet here he is, instead of attempting to moderate the message, instead of attempting to do what he said he would do when he ran for office, and especially in his inaugural speech, calm the country, reunite us, instead of any of that, he's being wildly intemperate. I thought that speech was absolutely outrageous, offensive, beneath his dignity, beneath, beneath his dignity. Oh, wait, which, the office which one are we talking we're about? We're talking about the Atlanta speech in which he said, which side okay. are you on? Are you with George Wallace or Bull Connor? If you vote against the Georgia law, which as we all know because it's been said a hundred times, <laughs> will permit looser voting rules than exist right now in Joe Biden's home state of Delaware. What I'm getting at is what James just teed up so beautifully, and I'm sure he wants me to get at, is that it, their behavior does not make sense on any conventional understanding of American politics at all. <clears throat> as best I can tell, so you begin with the rule that people, people respond to incentives. They must have decided that they, and again, this, here we are a little over a year into this presidency, and we don't even know who they are, although we can be pretty sure that it is a they and not a he, because the president has so little energy and he seems to get confused, all, all, all that we've already talked about. Whoever they are, they seem to have decided that they're going to lose Congress next November. That seems to be baked in. And so what are they trying to do? They're liberals. They're trying to lay the predicate for a real bloodbath of a fight in 2020. I, I, honestly, I have to say, after having spent my entire adult life around politics, I am just baffled. Even ideologues, once they reach that height of American politics, have almost always learned the game that to get things done, you moderate, you, you, you deal with Joe Manchin beginning a year ago, you don't start insulting him beginning a month ago. So I confess I am baffled. Yeah, it's a very strange thing because it, uh, it's, I think they are looking forward to losing the House and the Senate. That, that is their only way out is to have this sort of direct oppositional sort of, uh, I mean, um, although I, I suspect, I, mean, I can't imagine Joe Biden's going to run again, but um, have that direct oppositional kind of clear line. That, that sometimes presidents like that, you know, it's like, I, I just would rather do nothing but be able to point to an enemy. His biggest fights are with his own party. That is a sign that there is trouble. The, the Democrats have a, a majority in the House and an uh, effective majority in the Senate. And the Biden administration and the Biden agenda is stymied. There, he can't point, as other presidents have done, to the evil Republican, uh, evil Republicans in the House. He can't point, as other Democratic presidents have, to the uh, ancient and ossified uh, bigots of the Republican Party in the Senate. He can't do that. His biggest fights are with Kristen Sinema and Joe Manchin, and, right. and 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 with his own COVID policy, in my view. But. But that is a sign that this guy is in big, 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 big trouble. All he has to do is is make peace with his own party. Right. He doesn't even have to moderate. He just has to go to Joe Manchin, Chris Sinema, who are democratically elected Democratic senators in the democratically controlled Senate, and make a deal. And he can't do it. And I think he can't do it because I mean I think because the Joe Biden who could do it um, isn't really with us anymore. I yes. And 
the team that Biden, yeah, and the team that has ar- ar- around Biden uh, is inexperienced and young and liberal, and they don't understand that that like like a lot of young conservatives do. By the way, they do not under- understand that actually. No, no, in 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 America, you have to take uh, the B minus C plus version of what you want. Right. You know, you're so just you're gonna have to eat that special kind of cookie. That's how you get what you get, um, and they're just not doing it. And he's and he's and Biden isn't isn't present enough to uh, to pound the table and say yeah, it's okay. What what does Joe want? Let's give it to him. Right, right. Uh, see, only uh, something like that makes sense. The only thing, something like that, certainly has to be what's happening. The only thing that I can think is that what we have here is the charge of the light brigade. Because these kids, the people who are running the White House, aside from the president, who, as you say, is no longer really present, are young. So it's pure ideology. And if we're going to go down, we'll go down in a magnificent cavalry charge. But, of course, they're thinking we won't really go down. We're in this town to play this game for three or four more decades. So there's a, maybe the charge of the Light Brigade isn't quite right. Maybe it's the Barry Goldwater <laughs> campaign yeah. in uh, 1964 where – Everybody, including Barry Goldwater, knew that he was going to lose, and that in some way permitted the campaign to become even more ideological. We're just putting down markers right. for young conservatives, for the Republican Party of the future. And so, said, said many of the people on the Barry Goldwater campaign in 1964. And these people may be saying, okay, we're going to go down, but there's a new Democratic Party aborning, and we're going to be part of that labor. And yeah. if it costs us Joe Biden, well, he's already gone anyway. Don't you think Something it's weird? Like that? I think, but don't you think it's weird, Peter? There's this kind of tone deafness to it—the idea that nobody, nobody believes really that this voting business is—that's yes—is is the is the is the is the safeguarding democracy for the future. Nobody believes that, and except maybe some very 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 young people in the White House, but nobody believes that. Um, maybe Joe Biden in his twilight believes it, but nobody. No, it's, it's a, it's sort of crazy on the face of it. I mean, yeah, all the. I mean, it's a, it, the voting, the, the voting processes in Pennsylvania, Delaware, and California, everywhere else. And I think even Mississippi are more uh, are are uh, are slightly more restrictive than they were. That that was slightly more restrictive than they would be at the, after the passing of this bill, but in fact. Much more liberal than they were five, ten years ago. I don't think you understand, Rob. I really don't. <laughs> Biden was completely correct to trace this back to Jim Crow, to the battle days of the South. Because when you consider it, Bull Connor used fire hoses full of water to disenfranchise African Americans. Now, in Georgia, we're talking about using water not to give it to people standing in line. So water is involved in both of these instances. I think you can, you can trace a, a clear line between the fire hoses and the, uh, the restrictive but, laws that keep people, that, that make people keel over with dehydration right. in the line. But I guess what I mean is that nobody believes that. Nobody, no, nobody does. That's right. That's but the, the strange thing about this is, is to hear from both of you guys, um, it, it's sort of the idea that you've heard in Republican circles all the time. Well, it's it's good that we're going to lose because we'll get all the wishy-washy yeah, people right. out of the way, and then things will get really bad, mm-hmm. and people will realize that the only salvation is going to be the Republican Party. You, you've heard an awful lot of that, but Rob's right. It's not that they may not believe these things; it's that they do. They actually not know how unpopular 
some of these things are. I mean, everybody wants, you know, everybody wants a clean earth. Yeah, we do. Does that mean that they want $7 gasoline, right. intermittent power, forbidding people to have gas stoves or, 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 uh, or uh, you know, Weber grills in the backyard? No. None of the particulars of these things are popular at all when people dig into the details. So what are they thinking then? That they're going to, that they'll lose. Good, good. We'll lose. We'll clear. We'll scour. And then we'll come roaring back with this package of stuff that isn't popular with anybody. Goldwater stuff may have been scary to some at the time because it was, you know, he's going to, the, the, the daisy, the nuclear war. But how many of the things that they were actually attempting to bring to the American people later through a reconstituted Republican Party were that unpopular in the sense that they are directly affected your life in the way that the price of the pump and the lack of stuff in the grocery store does? Maybe, but I mean, the Goldwater theory is, was, was the wrong then. Republicans were wrong then. The, the, the greatest, most indelible, most unreversible uh, 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 institutions of the liberal welfare state happened after 1964. This sort of crazy Republican, I've heard these Republicans say this, this crazy Republican sort of reimagining of that time. That, well, you know, it was kind of good that we lost because that set us up for Reagan 16 years later when Reagan didn't manage, Reagan couldn't dismantle the Department of Education, Correct. which had only been started by Carter. So the losing is never good because it doesn't, the rules do not change when you win. People think that when they win, the rules suddenly change and they get everything they want. And you don't, not in America, you don't get everything you want. You still have to make a deal with the jerk on the other side. Spoken like a man who wrote a great sitcom script and, script and then got notes, you know, notes from the news. Yeah, sure. Always get them. Always get them. Briefly on Gold, the point about Goldwater was, the point I was making about the campaign was, they believed they were going to lose anyway. Barry Goldwater said right. to the people close to him, Bill uh, Buckley, They've lost John Kennedy. Lyndon Johnson is now a new president. And Goldwater, the American people just don't want three presidents in 18 months. It's just too much for the country to take. So rightly or wrongly, they supposed they were going to lose anyway. I just want, I just looked it up here yesterday. Because, but the speech that Biden gave in Atlanta, and I just want to underline my bafflement. Speechwriter that I am, let me quote this. At consequence, it's just a, three sentences. At consequential moments in history, said the president of the United States, there is a choice. Uh, I ask every elected official, how do you want to be remembered? Are you on the side of Dr. King or George Wallace, the segregationist governor of Alabama? Do you want to be on the side of John Lewis, the freedom marcher, or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? There is no construction of American politics under which saying that makes any sense. There is no construction under which the President of the United States, accusing roughly half of his fellow citizens of siding with Jefferson Davis and Bull Connor, is outrageous and indecent. I don't care what he said to be indecent. If you want to be on the side of Martin Luther King or George Wallace, you could phrase, you want to be on the side of the Republican or the Democrat. Oh, hold on, wait a minute. Well, it's also the question is like, do you do you want to do you believe that the difference between uh, Martin Luther King and George Wallace is uh, being able to place your completed ballot in a ballot collection facility that is not maintained by the U.S. Postal Service seven to eight to ten to fifteen whatever days it is with rain uh, with a, a excess rain uh, allowing for extra days? I mean. 
the, the, the problem with all this stuff is, like, and I really do believe it's both parties that have, have this. I had dinner with our old, our old friend last night, Troy Sennett. And uh, we started early. We ended very late uh, at a great restaurant downtown. And we talked about everything. But one of the things we were baffled by is just the, the exhausted, out of energy, out of ideas, uh, political apparatuses, apparati in America. They're just so tired. Like, you look at the Republican Party, it's so tired. And the Democratic Party is so tired. But this especially is tired, all this voting stuff, because it never accepts the fact that voting participation in America in 2020 and 2016 was soaring. Midterm election, right, even. Right, exactly. It's soaring. There are more Americans participating in voting now than if I said to you 15 years ago that it was going to be 60% participation or whatever it was. You'd look at me and say, my God, how, how great things must be. How great everything must be. Because we never would imagine that. We thought it was going to go down to 40 or 30. Could you even say, we said, you could, you could Google this in the New York Times, could we even say in the future that a president was actually elected with only 20% of Americans participating, 30. And that was the biggest, because that was a gigantic crisis for us. And now there are so many people voting that we've decided to create a, a crisis equal to the uh, Voting Rights Act of the 60s. And I think people just aren't, they just don't believe it anymore. And, right. I, you know, and a couple big, and I would say the other big thing, which I don't think we talked about. Did you ever talk about Sonia Sotomayor briefly? Um, go right so ahead. At the at the oral arguments uh, last week uh, at the Supreme Court, she mandates. said yes. She said something for, uh, for uh, vaccine mandates and, and mask mandates. She said something so phenomenally stupid, yes. so inexcusably, so actually, I mean, un- unfortunately, it's not actionable because she is the she's in the the court of last resort. So you, there's no place to go to have her overturned said something so dumb about COVID. 100,000 young people, she said, have serious COVID, many of whom are on ventilators. That is categorically false. And it is disqualifying for this person to be making, rendering judgment on this case. She should recuse herself for her stupidity. She's as dumb as people going and drinking ivermectin from the veterinary supply store. And no one will say it. Everybody shrugs. But the American people do hear it, and they hear this hysterical moron, and the Supreme Court, she's one of a handful of the most powerful people in America, a regulatory function at this point, because she's judging, they are adjudicating whether uh, whether you have to wear a mask uh, or a vaccine mandate, so she is a regulator now, and she's that dumb, and then you have the President of the United States screaming about voting rights and, 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 and uh, enfranchisement at a time when there's record participation in elections. And I think the American people are just saying, my God, we need a different channel. We need different noise. This noise no longer works for us in both COVID and voting and all the crises. And I would say, because I'm an opportunistic and I know I've talked too much and I'll shut up now, I would say now is a perfect time for us to talk about how terrible the schools are and how crazy all this environmental nonsense is because they it's the same playbook they have, which is to say, if you don't give money to the schools, your children are going to be reeling in the streets. And if you don't, we don't, uh, 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 as J- James says, pay $7 for gas, we're all going to die when a glacier hits. Um, now it's perfect because they have no new they have no new ideas. They have. They don't even have any new warnings. And um, I don't know. Seems like an opportunity where I 
things Especially in college. Especially spend a tremendous amount of money on the schools. Millions and millions and millions of billions of dollars, and the schools aren't any better. They haven't done anything about their ventilation. They, they're still complaining about not having. Where, where did the money go exactly? Where did the money go? Yeah. You're absolutely right. People look at the voting stuff and they realize that it's not that we have record amounts of people voting. The problem that the other side believes is that the wrong people are voting and that you have to arrange things so that the right outcomes occur. The ideal outcome is for everybody to sit at home being paid by a universal basic income, not working, pursuing their life as a cowboy poet, having somebody come to the door and harvest the <laughs> ballot for them. You know, and, and what, what happens to the trillions? I mean, if you gave me those billions of dollars and said fix the schools, I you know, could actually start to do something probably in an hour, although right. I would have to change my wardrobe, frankly, because you have to impress people. you got to look good. The other day, for example, I was looking for a shirt that matched this tie that I have, and I couldn't find it. I didn't well, you, you suck. No way to fix that. Well, you have to look, 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 walk no, around no, looking no, like no, a no, fool. No, no. You'd be surprised. What? Yeah, I was looking for a particular color, a bright color. I love bright colored shirts. What Catherine Lopez from National Review used to call my male stripper wardrobe. <clears throat> well, I couldn't find it because I'm at the whims of the stores, right? And even if I could, there's no guarantee that it would actually fit like I wanted it to fit. Who wants to be at the mercy seat? Listen, when it's, you know, if you're finding a statement for color that you like, whether you want to find a more flattering cut or you want to get a new statement piece, the right details can take your wardrobe up a notch. This year, let Indochino take care of your 2022 style edit. You can customize everything from suits to shirts to chinos to bomber jackets at prices more affordable than you might expect. It's time to get a wardrobe personalized to your style and taste without spending a fortune. Each piece is made to your exact measurements, and you can customize every detail. Choose everything about your suit, including the fabric, the label, the monogram, the statement, lining. You can create a suit that fits you and your style perfectly. The best part? Indochino suits start at just $429, and shirts from $79 with all customizations included. What do you mean by customizations? You say, well, you go to their site, it's like having one of those old guys from the movies with a tape measure around his neck, you know, with a chalk who does all the work. You, trust me, going to buy a shirt online is never like this anyplace else that I've experienced because the, the questions they ask ensure that I'm going to get something that fits me absolutely perfectly. And looks great as well. So give yourself a style edit that sets the tone for the rest of the year with Indochino. Get $50 off any purchase of $399 or more by using the promo code RICOCHET at Indochino.com. That's fifty dollars off a purchase of three hundred and ninety-nine dollars or more at i n d o t h i n o dot com. Promo code Ricochet. You're gonna love it. You're gonna look great. Plus, the compliments will be. We thank you, Gina, for sponsoring this the Ricochet podcast. And now we welcome to the podcast Susan Farakia. She is the chief congressional correspondent for the Washington Examiner and the Ricochet podcast. She's a frequent guest on CBS's long-running public affairs program, The McLaughlin Group, and she's previously reported for Congressional Quarterly and the Miami Herald. Follow her on Twitter, if you will, at Susan Tarecchio. That'll be in the notes on the site. Susan, welcome back. And uh, I, I, again, I have to say, we're, we're both old newspaper people. Do you do you miss the hustle and bustle of the newsroom? How do you think that the, the Miami Herald would be handling things today? Would there be a, 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 a buzz there as they realize that the Joe Biden administration rolls on, chalking up one triumph after the – I'm sorry. <laughs> I do miss it. I was just watching Roman Holiday last night, and uh, part of the movie takes place in a, in a newsroom in Italy, and the clacking of the typewriters, and yes. the, you know, all the news people running back and forth, gathering information, the pictures, photographers, pictures on every wall, covering every wall. 
I do miss that. And I think there are a lot of reporters today who uh, can't even fathom what that was. You know, um, with, when we started and I started, there was no internet. I know that, and the people I worked with said, well, when I started, we worked on typewriters. There were no computers, you know, just to, just to evolve into what it is today, into this really fast paced um, social media driven industry. It's really changed not only how we produce news and how we consume news, but I feel pretty strongly it's changed the news and how, how the news cycle itself. So it's, you know, it's been exciting to watch it all change over my career, which has been about three decades now. Um, and, you know, I don't know what's going to happen in the future. There's some good things about it and a lot of bad things about it. Isn't it odd that this acceleration of the news cycle and this constant, I mean, Twitter telling you every seven seconds that something's happened, is happening at the same time as we have an absolutely senescent and immo- just, just this this figurehead of a president who is so ill-suited for that. Who out there, and I'll just throw this out and let it Rob and Peter go afterwards, who out there in the Republican Party seems able to to meet this pace, to adapt to it, to to fight back, to, uh, to master, to ride that particular wild horse? Well, first of all, I think the fast pace and the way that there are more people of access to uh, reporting news has been has made it more. I think has equalized things because the mainstream media, obviously, with the with the newspaper delivery system prior to social media, you really didn't have a lot of alternative voices there. And now, I hate to say it, but Republicans really are the alternative voice because the mainstream media is largely driven by liberals. I think that's fair to say. So um, that's been a great opportunity for the Republican Party to reach an audience that otherwise they they couldn't get to. Um, And I think there are a lot of Republicans who have jumped right in, certainly not all of them. Let's face it, there are members of Congress who walk around with flip phones still. So their people haven't really caught up to it all. Um, including Lindsey Graham, anyway. but there, but he's also active on social media. His team is active on social media. I think there are a lot of Republicans who jump right in there. Of course, the big problem is the the shadow banning and uh, the editing by the social media t- uh, tech giants, and that's of course the next huge big problem uh, in terms of ensuring news is delivered on equal footing. Who is doing the editing? Who is doing the blocking here? Um, and that's that's a really important topic. And Republicans are certainly several Republicans in, in the Senate and the House are really um, diving in on that. Susan, political question. Joe Biden earlier this week. I ask every elected official in America, how do you want to be remembered? On the side of Dr. King or George Wallace? On the sides of John Lewis or Bull Connor? Do you want to be on the side of Abraham Lincoln or Jefferson Davis? What? could he possibly have been thinking? He effectively, in, he effectively called half of Americans George Wallace's or Bull Con- what was the What on earth could possibly have been the political point of that speech? Well, 2022 is the political point of that speech. For Republicans it's all, and Democrats, both parties, it's always the path to the next election, how to regain or maintain power. So Democrats are looking ahead to 2022, thinking how can they maintain power? They feel like these red state voter integrity laws are going to diminish access to the voters that they think will keep them in office. Therefore, they feel like the only way to do that is to pass these two partisan, these are partisan election bills, get them across the finish line, and and that will give them a chance to stay in power and keep trying to pass their big agenda that so far has not gone anywhere, really. 
And that's what he had in mind by getting up there and comparing the current voting system in these red states, particularly Georgia, where there's an important election happening that could determine the, the balance of the right, Senate. Right. If he said, look, these laws are George Wallace, uh, you know, these laws are, are racist. This protects them in two ways. It can get their base out. I think that's what they have in mind. I could perhaps, in their view, find a way to push this rules change in the Senate and get their bills across the finish line. And three, if they lose, which is a real possibility right now, let's take a wild gander at what they're going to say if they don't win. They're going to say the reason they didn't win is Republicans stole it from them through these election laws that restricted voter access. They've already laid the foundation for that argument now. And it was really, that, that to me was the heart of what Biden was getting at during that speech. I don't think he wrote it. I think it's, you know, obviously oh, right, right, right. Staff really he could barely deliver it. He certainly didn't write it. Yeah. Right. So I think that that's, that's what the, the Biden administration is trying to accomplish um, with, in, in concert with House and Senate Democrats who are about to lose control of Congress. So wait a minute. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to put this in a provocative way, and I'm going to use the T word. So, Rob, you can take your headphones off right now for a moment if you want to. So they are accusing Donald Trump of preparing to steal the next election when in fact what's happening is that they are preparing to claim he stole the election, even as he is now claiming they stole the election, when all the polls indicate that if Donald Trump does win, does choose to run again, he'll win. Fair and square, by at least middling single digits. Now, a year, November's a long way. But in, so the Democrat, it's this weird projection where they're preparing to do exactly what they accuse him of doing. You're saying that? Well, they just did it in 2016. 2016, the entire Trump administration was about how he stole the election by colluding with the Russians. And then in 2020, when Trump tried to make a claim that there were problems in the election process that undermined credibility of the election, look what happened. So, you know, of course, a lot more did happen, and that's a whole other story. Right. But, but to this day, Democrats make the case that people are, you know, providing false information that the 2020 election was rigged when there are certain important questions to be asked about that. All this connects to what I was saying originally. A lot of these voter integrity laws that passed in, you know, 20 states now, almost, almost 20 states, are, we're going back and examining some of the last-minute, significant, profound changes to our election law that were put in place because of COVID. Right. They're going back and they're looking at those and they're saying, do we want drop boxes on every street corner, you know, unsupervised, losing the chain of, of supervision Custody, of the right. ballots? Do we want to let people vote at the, you know, do we want to overwhelm the system the way we did the last time with the mail-in balloting and all these other things? Do we want to make sure there's more integrity? Do we want to tighten up the process? Democrats say by doing that, you're now restricting. You know, they liked the, they liked the 2020 outcome, didn't they? The, the, the whole process helped them win. I think that's, that's pretty fair to say. So why would they want to undo that? They don't. They want to keep it all in place. And they say by, by, by these states deciding on their own through legislatures elected by voters that they want to change these and tighten up voter integrity laws. By the way, voter ID is wildly popular. Right. Polls very well. By saying that, Democrats are saying, you're going to restrict access. Like they, they, they keep going up to the Senate floor talking about how, you know, you, people can stand in line for hours and they can't have water. They can't have water. That's not true. 
What they want to do is avoid having partisan workers. Electioneering, right, at the polling booth, right? Yeah. With food and drink and entertainment, whatever they were doing, in some cases that, that raise the alarm bells, poll workers can deliver refreshments to people standing in line. And Democrats never say that. So that they're not being truthful. What they're doing is just trying to scare people. And, you know, they're trying to make it the most dramatic case possible, as any party would do, to try to push these two bills across the finish line. Now, they're not going to pass because we, it's clear that within their own party, they don't have the path to do that. So you ask, well, what's the end game? Why does Biden go do this when he knows that bill, those bills aren't going to pass? Why are Democrats still going to take up the legislation next week? I think it goes back to what I started with originally, that the reason they're doing this is to uh, show their base that they're working hard for them. Their base is, is disillusioned by lack of movement in their big agenda, liberal wish list items. And two, it certainly lays the groundwork for them. Since things are looking dismal for them in 2022, although it's too, too early to, for Republicans to claim victory, certainly. If they, if they do win, Republicans, Democrats have laid the foundation for, um, for, for discrediting the Republican victory in 2022, and I can promise you that that will happen. Right, right, right. I, I want to set up. Uh, I want to set up Rob, because he said a couple of things that are going round and round in my mind. Anyway, here's the question to you, Susan. We'll see if Rob wants to come in and sort of elaborate on it. Here we are, stuck in this weird, bitter, vicious, poisonous cycle. You stole the election. You're preparing to steal. No, you're the one who's discredited. You're the threat. To Meanwhile. Vladimir Putin has massed troops and tanks on the border of Ukraine and forced the President of the United States to engage in talks with him about Ukraine. It's sheer bullying, and the United States of America is talking, stealing, as a result of a show of force. The Chinese are overflying Taiwanese airspace with fighters several times a week. There is serious stuff going on in the world, and this nation simply is not behaving like a great nation. It's all kabuki politics. There's nothing serious getting discussed or done. Here's my question. What serious people do you see just off stage, ready to come on and talk about sub substantive issues? If Rob was saying earlier that the Republican Party looks exhausted, that Mitch McConnell gave, in my judgment, a magnificent remarks in the chamber of the Senate the other day in reply to Joe Biden, but, and, and Mitch McConnell was fierce and well-spoken, but even he looks tired. He's just, they've just all had enough. Where do you see any energy and seriousness and intellect waiting to take over? Oh, it's there. I think that uh, there are... Republicans and some Democrats in the House and the Senate who are very concerned about what's going on with China and Russia, and they want more attention. You know, the problem, I think, when it comes to our politicians these days is they're just so glued to these short election cycles, staying in power, watching the polls, putting their finger to the wind and seeing which way they need to move in order to maintain power or to get where they want to get that you don't have the kind of governing that in the past we would be paying more attention to what's going on with foreign policy. And now there are plenty of people raising alarm bells. 
certainly the Biden administration is not the Trump administration, where you had Mike Pompeo, you know, in charge of things, and you had Donald Trump taking what I think a lot of people agree is a really strong stand on foreign policy against aggressors and people who are not on our side, people who are not our allies. For example, just last night, Senate Democrats blocked this resolution proposed by Senator Ted Cruz that would have censored and sanctioned people constructing the Nord Stream 2 pipeline, which of course would supply energy from Russia to Germany. Now, Democrats were, the Biden White House really put the squeeze on Democrats on this because, of course, Germany does not want this to happen. They are relying on Russia for energy. And Democrats went along with the Biden administration. They blocked this thing, which is surprising. I think there are Democrats who are really easily concerned about this. Look, we just spent years with Democrats on the floor railing about Trump being aligned with Putin, yet they don't even want to sanction Putin. They don't have the willpower to sanction Putin themselves right now. It's so serious. The situation is getting extremely serious with Ukraine. So I think there are people who are really interested in this. The problem is everybody to get in power, they need to win over the public, ask the public how concerned they are about this stuff. A lot of people, what you just described, a lot of people have no idea this is going on, nor do they care. I don't know why, given what's available on social media now, people aren't talking about this stuff because it doesn't directly impact them. Well, it will. The Nord Stream pipeline issue is a great one for the Republicans to point out how the Biden administration keeps energy from flowing here and is perfectly happy to let the Russians do what they want. You're right. Germany does depend on them, but they shouldn't, A, because they're pursuing the sort of policies the Democrats want here with decarbonization, but B, the United States now has the facilities to ship liquid natural gas to them, and this was partly due to the fracking revolution. So we, I mean, so there's a whole lot of stuff that we can go to, and it makes you wonder whether or not the Democrats are saying, well, if we sanction them, then the Russians will sanction us, and we, you know, they'll cut off our caviar shipments. I mean, have you seen the price, have you seen the price of caviar the other day? I'm not a caviar eater, but I am a sleep guy. You probably are, too. Everybody wants a good night's rest. You can't cut corners on what's important getting that rest, right? Well, bowl and branches of signature cheese still so soft and so light, you'll forget you're not actually sleeping in a cloud. And they're sustainably made for uncompromising quality from fields to perfection. There are several things that I love about them. I always mention the unboxing experience, which seems the most trivial. But it isn't if you're giving them a, as, a, as a gift. It, but it tells you also how much attention and care goes into this. I mean, some of these places just stuff them in a plastic bag. Bowl and Branch carries about every aspect of it, from the aesthetic, well, to the feel, which is, of course, most important. And they feel so good. I've had them for years. And while other sheets that we've had have just ripped and torn and just been threadbare after the rest after a couple of years of wear, no, these, you know, I mean, they're just still buttery soft. They get better with every wash. The signature hemmed sheets from Bowling Branch are a bestseller for a good reason. They are buttery soft, lightweight organic cotton in a classic stacking way. For sheets that get softer over time. Trust me, this is true. They're not too hot. They're not too cool. They're the perfect year-round sheets for most occasions. Bowling Branch focuses on quality over quantity. No inflated thread count here because more isn't, you know, always better. Best of all, Bowling Branch gives you a fair price plus a 30-day risk-free trial with free shipping and returns. Experience the best sheets you've ever felt at BowlingBranch.com. Get 15% off your first set of sheets when you use the promo code LIQUISHOW at checkout. That's Bowling Branch, B-O-L-L-A-N-D, Branch. 
Podcast. Promo code Liquor Show. And we thank Mobile Direct for sponsoring this free Liquor Show podcast. Robert, you were up on the deck next. Um, I, I guess what I would say is like you could make an argument um, that the, the conservative movement is rudderless too, in the sense that I don't think there's a consensus in the conservative movement that the United States should be engaged internationally. Um, I don't think there's a consensus that the United States, that, that our, our um, interests are served by uh, what, whatever happens in, in, in Ukraine. I mean, you can see the conservative website, some of them are really good, um, arguing that maybe it's time for an America first approach. Um, so in a sense, we, we have lost our, the thread. In 1980, it was pretty clear, 1984, even 1988, it was pretty clear that uh, conservatives in America were in favor of rolling back Soviet, the Soviet Union, holding the line where it was, not allowing it to grow. Um, now it's not quite clear what, I mean, I mean there, were, there, were, there were debates about whether, uh, in conservative um, uh, magazines and websites, whether the United States should really guarantee Taiwan. Um, so it, we have lost a little bit of our resolve. We, we are, it seems to me, it's just as a, as a political country, trying to figure out where the lines are. And part of that was, you can see in the Biden administration, their biggest fights are with two Democratic senators. I mean, Mitch McConnell is a bystander in all this. He doesn't have to do anything. <laughs> he can just sit there and drink tea all day and let the Democrats uh, aim their howitzers at Christian Cinema and Joe Manchin. So I guess my question is, when you're looking at a, a an administration that is in free fall in the polls, and you're a reporter there, and um, having a, and a party, obviously, that's at war with itself, Ordinary, I was, we said this before you got here. Ordinarily, that would be a, we'd be able to see the signs of that in the White House. There would be people in the White House sniping at each other, people at the White House double-crossing each other, having breakfast and saying, off the record, this guy's a loser. I mean, even the Reagan's shaky first couple of years as president, um, that's, what, that's what happened in that administration. Um, these guys seem like they're all part of a team. I mean, am, am I missing the, the, the backbiting and all the fun stuff that I love to enjoy? Or even more worrisome, do the people in the White House not know how badly they're blowing this? That's a really great, great question. I was just talking about this um, with a fellow reporter, wondering, um, first of all, it's early. <laughs> yeah. as, as the administration um, moves forward, it's very possible we'll see as people leave you know, I'm, I was just wondering yesterday who's going to write the tell-all right. book about diminished mental capacity, you know. That, uh, these things traditionally do happen in administrations. There is sniping. In, but I wonder if the Trump administration was just so overflowing with that problem that it just – that the Democrats watched that right. and said, that's not happening to us. I, that, that, it's sort of like a backlash. and. I wonder about that, but I think you're right. I think they, I think I I think they're sticking to their guns on their policy and their their you know agenda, <laughs> even though it's not going anywhere, and even though the polls aren't very good. I think they feel like if they could pass this stuff, they could go out and blitz the country with you know good news about all the new programs and subsidies people were going to get to make their lives better. That was their plan. They were going to go around and say, "You got right. child tax credit." Right. running in the Washington Examiner magazine, if I could promote that. Me too. Up next week. Good magazine. I contribute to that. 
fantastic. It is. It's a great magazine. Well, I have a story coming out about um, the White House is about to apparently ask for more COVID aid, a substantial amount. So it will be another one of these big COVID aid packages. Um, the last one, Democrats passed without any Republican help. It was about $2 trillion. Um, and that included the, the tax credit and the stimulus checks and the all the stuff that, that Republicans believe kept the economy depressed by keeping workers out of the workforce. Anyway, they're planning another one of these things, and the majority leader was telling us it would include, believe it or not, more money for schools to stay open. Currently, the school systems have gotten through the last COVID aid package, $120 billion, more than that, actually, um, and have only drawn down 4% of that so far, 4% since last March. Meanwhile, there are a lot of schools being shut down intermittently because of COVID. And of course, we just had what happened in Chicago, uh, where that shutdown with the teachers union right. tried to go remote. They're talking about it again, and apparently in New York City. So I want, you know, the, the Democrats are living in another universe. First of all, it's going to be very hard for them to pass that unless they circumvent Senate bills right. and the rules like they did the last time. But more money, more and more money, $6 trillion in COVID aid has already gone out. I don't know if maybe the Biden administration feels like, well, here's another route we can use to pass some of our stuff under the guise of COVID aid because Omicron is surging and, you know, they want to kind of ride that wave and get right. some more money across the finish line. So that's the kind of thing they're paying attention to um, within the Biden administration. They're watching things like that, like kind of immediate candy, throwing out the candy right. to, to – Oh, it's just really, it's, it, it is interesting, and I, I do think it all connects back to the world with which we live now with social media being the news cycle. Everything has kind of become faster paced. Yeah, but I, I guess what I mean is just the patterns seem like they, they, they – I mean, when you're, when you're in a first term of a uh, – a first term of a presidency, pretty much – I mean, even a, a successful one, uh, Reagan in the eight, like first term of Reagan, they, they were nervous. The economy is not doing well. Uh, they, uh, it, the inflation had not yet been tamed. There was still a recession, um, and he wasn't that popular. Uh, and their argument, I think, in that White House was hold on because the money supply numbers are going up in the future. This is all going to turn around, and it's going to look good, right? And you're, and you're not going to have to change. You're just steady the, steady the course, right? And if you were in the – I don't know. The, 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 you know, steady the course, right? If you're in the, in the, in the Clinton administration – in the first term, it's like, oh no, wrong direction, change direction, do X, Y, and Z to sort of turn the ship around, and he did. Um, he triangulated. He yeah. triangulated. Got to so, use the right. Right. So, so, uh, but also he, became, you know, he ran in in in, in uh, 1996 as a lot more conservative after the drubbing in 1992. I mean, uh, in 1994. Um, so I guess the question is, and that was all the product of smart. Adult, realistic people, pragmatic people in a White House coming up, looking at the re what's really happening and coming up with a solution that we, we sort of all understood was a political solution, but turned out to be at least politically successful for both those presidents. Who is doing that? Is anyone doing that in the Biden administration? Biden and Clinton are not. Oh, I agree with that, yeah. Or, 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 or neither one is close to Reagan. But, I mean, you're, usually well, you have people in an administration who are, like, going to sit down with the president or somebody and say, look, here's the problem. Here's what we need to do. It doesn't seem like anyone's doing that in this administration. Well, I don't think the Obama administration did that either. I mean, I think they just – they are liberal to the right. core, and the administration is. I know Reagan is 
it's funny, what is Biden? I don't even know anymore. He, he, all of these senators, and it's not just because he's older and we all talk about his diminished mental capacity. They have all kind of evolved, but some of these senators who are more moderate have gone to the left. Mm-hmm. And I think that's because they believe that's where their base is and that's their, that's their survival. Their survival is in the left. They can't, they can't. So many of them went to the left right. on so many issues on abortion, on guns, on spending. It's just, there's very few true moderates left. In fact, there are approximately two, and we know who they are in the Senate. We do. And, and Everyone does now. They have great power because of that, and there's slim majority. But the, the party itself has gone left. They followed the base. Um, the ex- excitement is with the younger, more liberal part of the party. Um, they're they're winning elections, and you know the AOC crowd is where the excitement in, is, and in, where the party energy is. It's where Obama was as the president, and it's where this administration is now. Do I think and becoming more moderate? I don't. You know, that'd be hard to. There is that. one prominent Democrat who sees what needs to be done. Let me quote from a piece that appeared in the Wall Street Journal, since he knows where this is going, earlier this week. Doug Schoen. Schoen. A perfect, yeah, okay, that's the question, whether this is laughable, and Susan's already laughing. A perfect storm in the Democratic (laughs) Party is making a once unfathomable scenario plausible, a political comeback for Hillary Clinton in 2024. So when... That appeared in the journal on Tuesday, I guess it was, Susan. Did all of Washington fall about it themselves laughing and saying that's just Doug Schoen trying to generate consulting fees again? Or did they say, oh, well, this is the Rob Long argument. This is the Susan Recchio <laughs> argument. <laughs> it's a mess. Somebody, some grown-up needs to come in and move that party back to the center and begin to appeal to the middle of the country. And it's, if it's only Hillary Clinton who's capable of doing so, then it's Hillary, Hillary Clinton it may be. I think for Democrats it would be a phenomenal idea to run her. I think, I think she... You chill me to the very marrow, but go ahead. <laughs> okay, fine. Who, who can do it? Who can do it? I, I remember last year watching these um, primaries, you know, Iowa, New Hampshire, and... and, and, and I remember I was on the set at Special Report at Fox, and I kept saying week after week, after Biden kept losing, I kept saying, I know, I know you think I'm crazy, but Biden is going to win this. None of these guys can get carried past these right. early states. It's going to be Biden. And I got home one night, and my husband, who, Doug McElway, who's a, at the time a Fox News correspondent, I got home, and he just says, you know, you've got to stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and look at it's about who can win. So my point is not to say, yes, I was the, the, the lone voice out there. What it, The point is, it's who can win, okay? <laughs> she can win. She can win. She can win. Yeah, she can win the primary, you mean. She can win the general election. She can win the general Yes, yes, yes. Who else do they have? Forget Kamala Harris. That, that, that's out. Forget some of these other people who are, like, you know, nipping at the heels here or wanting to run. There's nobody out there who could command the kind of immediate, you know, stardom <laughs> in the field as Hillary Clinton. And could she take on whoever the 2024 candidate is, be it Trump or DeSantis yeah. or who, whoever decides to run? Yes, she could. She's, well, we haven't heard a ton from her. She still seems to be, you know, pretty much at the same mental level as she was before. I've heard a couple interviews with her. I don't hear any change in the yeah. way performing mentally, which is important task with any person as they get old, older. I'm not just picking on Clinton. Or, but 
you know, you you wonder and you watch and you age people right. with mental That's capacity. Right. Sorry, part of life. She still seems pretty with it. They need someone. If it's not going to be Biden, it sure as heck cannot be Harris. Let's just forget it's over. It has to be somebody with stardom, power, and that's Clinton. There are you know, perhaps some others. What if it was, say, Michelle Obama? I mean, that would be an exciting possibility. She's not interested. I don't think that would happen. But it would be, have to be somebody that's, that can get out there. and Because let's face it, 20, the 2020 primaries in 2019 and 2020 were a mess. They were a mess. And, and Biden won because of that because there was nobody else right. who could carry the ball. Had to be him. They had to be like, dear God, we've got to use Biden because he's the only one who can make it through the whole circuit and come out the winner. That was really what the primaries are about. So, Susan, so, this uh, is really – I'll leave it to James to if, – if you answered this the way I think you may answer it, I'll leave it to James to try to figure out how to get us out of this on an up note because I am now in the slough of despond. Are you saying – that we're headed for a Hillary Clinton-Donald Trump rematch in 2024? Do we have to live through that again? Well, if the networks can make that happen, they will. <laughs> they will. Watch it save the net, save cable news. Um, I think it's, I say, you guys, anything is possible. Absolutely. I think you're right. It's just perverse enough to work. I, the reason that I think that Hillary actually would appeal to an awful lot of people, when you mentioned before that the senators are moving left because they feel that the energy, the power of the movement is on the left, the young folk, that's true. But this is a different set of leftist ideas. Previously, you go back however many decades you want, if somebody was moving to the left, it was, it was on economic issues. And it was, you know, some of the social issues that we all had to hash out about civil rights and the rest of it. But now you have an entirely alien culture. You have woke culture, to use the term that everyone uses, which is anathema to most people. And when they see, when they see it reflected around them, they're horrified by it. They hate it. They can't stand it. So somebody who tries to tap into that energy runs the risk of dragging with them all of these wokeisms yeah. that seem to be infesting corporate and intellectual society. Hillary doesn't have that. Nobody's going to look at her and say that she's going to be the handmaiden for some, some <laughs> stridently wokeish. No, she brings a different kind of fresh, uh, annoying leftism. A fresh kind of perspective. <laughs> yes. Biden, Trump, Hillary, when we're talking about a rotating panoply of septuagenarians, I don't think fresh is the word that we necessarily want to use. Uh, but, hey, you know, uh, if we have to replay Trump and Hillary, it is down there. Oh, my God. Oh, my Lord. Okay. Well, there's no way I can get out of this to your satisfaction. So I'm just going to thank you. Another star could emerge yes. and change the whole conversation. That person just hasn't surfaced yet. It's not Ron DeSantis? Oh, on the Republican side, for sure. There's oh, I see. Okay. There's okay. many Republicans who could replace Trump in my opinion. Oh, yeah, I agree. For the, and for, the, for the win, for sure. Susan, is there any chance that Donald Trump is saying to himself, I'm having fun now, but when it comes to it, I prefer the game of golf in, for my final years to running. He'll want to be the kingmaker for sure. He'll want to say, I anoint this, you know, he'll want to make it his pick so he's the kingmaker. I, don't forget, once those high-speed trains start connecting Chicago with Denver, which is going to happen, I think, by next year, uh, Jeff Buttigieg has got a lot to go on. <laughs> Not only made the trains run on time, he made the trains appear. So, yeah, yeah, it's still fluid. It's all fluid. Susan, thanks so much. We're going to let you go. We know you have to leave, and we appreciate the time you've given us here in the Ricochet Podcast. We'll see you in the Examiner on Twitter and elsewhere, and we'll have you back as often as is humanly possible. Have a great thanks, day, Thanks, Susan. Guys. Susan, thanks so much. Have a good weekend. You guys. Bye-bye. You know, Peter, yeah, the idea of Hillary Clinton running again, um, oh. it's, uh, <laughs> how many times do we have to go through this? Um, 
it's you know in one in one respect I spoke to some people on the Democratic side and they're like putting on an old comfortable pair of pants because you know you know you get a new pair of pants and they're tight and they don't fit but after you've worn them and washed them uh, eight or nine ten or times so they, they fit on so comfortably and Hillary Clinton is that comfy old ragged sweatpants that uh, that you can't you just can't throw them out no Hillary Clinton is comfortable for the party they're nowhere to have any ratty old sweatpants. And frankly, if you're a guy, your wife would probably say, why are you still wearing those ratty old sweatpants? Because they're comfortable, but you know what? You can find comfortable sweatpants that aren't falling apart and stained and disgusting. No, you need to give your butt an upgrade. Give it the upgrade it deserves and lounge like a champ with Tommy John. When you start wearing Tommy John, you're that much more comfortable, so you can do everything better. Tommy John's men's underwear has breathable, lightweight, moisture-wicking fabric with four times the stretch of competing brands. So you'll feel the same level of comfort layering your luxuriously soft loungewear right on top. Tommy John's loungewear is so comfortable that you're looking, you can, and you will be wearing them everywhere. Trust me, you will. But you'd be disappointed. Everyone has loungewear under that jacket. You seem to have the bearing of one today. Hey, with over 17 million pairs sold, Tommy John doesn't have customers, they have fanatics. Plus, whatever you choose from their new underwear to loungewear, it's all backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free guaranteed. So, get 20% off your first order right now at TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet. Go to TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet for 20% off. TommyJohn.com slash Ricochet. See where it's like for details. And, of course, we thank Tommy John for sponsoring this Ricochet podcast. Well, um, that commercial was so stunning that Peter Robinson actually decided to leave the show right then and there and go order himself some Tommy John's. But he did so with, with great graciousness, because Peter's a gracious man. And we lost another gracious man. We lost probably the best critic in America. And, 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 a, and a good, good man, Terry Pichon. Uh, Pato had said this, Terry possessed an extraordinary talent, all the more extraordinary because of his life's work with the defense of the value, meaning, and profundity of ordinariness. A child of small-town Missouri, he was someone who made a study of every topic that interested him, and with his passion for completeness, achieved a greater level of expertise in matters of high and popular culture than just about anyone in America. I got to attest to that. Um, I mean, Terry was a great author. He wrote uh, the sexual biography, Pops. He wrote a play about it. He wrote opera libretti. Uh, he's a musician himself. And then he had this, the, you know, the theater work that he did for the Wall Street Journal, the movie reviews for Elsewhere, every, and his blog. Every time you ran across his byline, you know that you were going to learn something, you were going to be entertained in the process of reading it, and you would encounter one of those rare souls and spirits in American contemporary criticism. A genuinely decent fellow. It doesn't mean that he wasn't prickly from time. He could be perfectly fine. But he was a good soul. And when news of his death hit Twitter, the number of people who just, A, were, were stunned and sad, of course, but also recollected a moment in which they just sent him a little message. And he responded kindly, with interest, with, inter you know, with a smile on his face to something that he said about a movie or about a soundtrack or this or that. He was a generous person in that respect, and you don't often find that in social media. You never find that in social media. But as far as the love of, of the ordinariness, he used to write about Smallville, the town that he came from, Sykesville, Missouri. And if you want to look at it on Google Earth, it ain't much. But I understand exactly what he liked about it. And we used to bond about this because I, too, came from my own version of Smallville. But growing up in mid-century time, about about feeling the, the, these, these revenant... Uh, wisps of the culture that had immediately preceded you and being fascinated in, in middle-brow culture. 
And just because you're interested in the high, at the absolute pinnacle of human artistic achievement, doesn't mean you can't recognize the wonderful quotidian stuff that flows through the American century and provides all these wonderful things from theater to easy listening music to, uh, to soundtracks to the, the, you know, the, the densest, cheapest noir. To the, he uh, loved it all and understood it as being necessarily American. And that's why it was always fun to talk to him. And it's a pity that he's gone. That he's absolutely uh, he said it all. I think that's true. I mean, it was quite a shock and unexpected, but, I mean, as a friend of mine said, um, you get to be a certain age, and then you hear something, somebody dies or something, where you, you're, aside from the normal feelings of, of regret and, and, uh, and um, grief that you've lost a friend, you say, well, sudden isn't bad. No, no. Sudden, as you see, is, is, you know, as we all would like to have our quietness. What's the old joke that, uh, like, oh, I want to go to my grand- grandfather went to quiet in his sleep and not, like, not screaming in pain like the other people in his car? Screaming in horror, I think it was. So the pain seems to have another message to it. And speaking of which, we'll end on a high note. Because one of the things that dominated Twitter this week, and it was nice because it wasn't one of those things that the discourse just poisons to death. Somebody asked the question, what was, what's the worst drive in America of at least three hours or more? Uh, it was tagged with long drive. So I imagine, Rob, you being literally that from time to time in your life, the long drive. Do you have an answer for the worst drive in America? Uh, not really. I mean, I don't know what the, I mean, uh, uh, th- they mean a three-hour stretch when you're driving. I mean, you know, the worst drive in, in America for me was between my house and Burbank, and that was about an hour. <laughs> I mean, a three-hour stretch. It's, it's, you know, cro- it's, it's hard across, across Texas is kind of boring, but it's not a bad drive. Um, it is what it is. And, you know, there's like, I don't know, there's like parts of like driving across the plains for three hours can be like Missouri can be like, oh, you know, it's like it's, it's endlessly flat. And um, but it's not I don't know. It's not a bad drive. Uh, there, there, I guess I would say the, the worst drive right now is probably I-40 outside, you know, you're leaving, leaving Oklahoma City from Oklahoma City to say Knoxville. That's more than three hours. Get, but that's only because of construction and trucks. And there's there used to be a lot of construction there, and it's just like it was miserable. Um, but that's about it. I mean, I like to drive, so I don't on my. I, I would, you know, I guess I would say yes. Three-hour drive uh, that I really don't like to do and has zero uh, to argue to 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 uh, recommend it is the between my house, my apartment uh, in Manhattan and my mother's place in Baltimore. That's the you got your uh, you know it's the New Jersey Turnpike and. But that's about yeah, it. And I'm not even, not even on there for three hours. That's, that's basically an hour and a half. Um, I think people who were, who were responding in, in, in said places like you mentioned before, the Plains, Texas, they didn't uh, because it was boring. There's nothing there. I think you're correct that the bad three-hour drives are the ones that are urban and full of construction and potholes and honking drivers. And, and but that's, 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 that's a given. Like like that's, that. the, that's, you know, this is the business right. shows. But... Think of what it used to be before the interstates when people would have to ply these two-lane roads yeah. and the Lincoln Highway, and, we were, and you didn't have a radio to keep you company. You didn't have a gas station every 30 miles. You had to worry about your radiator. And now for somebody to complain yeah, about, oh, three-hour drive through Nebraska is so boring. Well, first of all, you have access to about a million books that you can listen to. 
You can just point your car's uh, antenna toward one of the satellite birds that is hovering over this planet with gracious patience, and it will beam back to you any song that you want in the world, any symphony, any old radio show. You can, you can, the, the entertainment that you can have is absolutely right. unlimited. And then when you're tired of that after two hours, as I always am, you shut it all off, and then you just experience the zen of the plains. And if you are in North Dakota, for example, you may be so lucky as to see an enormous bank of clouds that rivals any mountain range you've ever seen, that shifts from minute to minute, from day from hour to hour. And you may just realize the immensity of this thing. I mean, when you've gone three hours on a flat highway without a single curve, and realize that there's three more of those to go, and then three after that, you realize how big and great and wonderful and beautiful this place is. Great country. Terry loves it. Bob loves it. Peter loves it. I love it. And so do you on Ricochet, because that's why you belong to Ricochet, because you're concerned about the country and you want it to prosper. And we also want to, to prosper Linda Chino, Bell and Branch, and Tommy John. Support them for supporting us. And uh, <coughs> join Ricochet today. I mentioned it at the top yeah. of the hour. I'm mentioning it at the bottom. It's something that you should It's something do. you're going to want right, to Robbie do, too. There's a lot of a cool, really cool members-only things. We have members-only meetups uh, online. We have members-only. We're going to have a couple members-only meetups soon. In real life, which I'm very excited about, we're going to get back to normal. Um, so you can make cast your vote for normalcy, actually meeting like people, uh, unmasked wherever we have to go. Texas, Florida, let's do it. Uh, we're planning those, and also a b- bunch of new uh, cool uh, uh, member features are coming that I'm very excited about, including the ability to sort of like uh, create your own sort of little teleconference, your own kind of. Radio, kind of basically a radio show, but like a conference, plus you can, you know, you need five Ricochet members and whoever else is there can join and uh, chat if you don't want to write. Um, and including another one, which I think we're trying to do, which will allow you, if you want, only if you want, when you write a piece that you think is really great and you want to make it available, we are uh, making, talking and talk to a big syndicator about maybe making some of our members, if they want, member posts um, available for um, reprint. Um, uh, which I think is really great. I, I was, one of the things I said was talking to, to, to uh, uh, Troy about last night. We spent a little time just reminiscing about some of the, our favorite member posts. And, of course, they were always people who sort of laid out their area of expertise in clear, interesting, funny, witty, engaging ways that just gave you an insight that you do not get. And remember, reporters can only know one thing, and that's how to work in a newspaper or a TV station. Uh, and Americans in general know a lot of stuff, and um, and that's the, the Ricochet is a place to share that. So if you um, if you are inclined, even slightly, as a member, please uh, you know make that part of your uh, membership plan. And if you are thinking right now, hey, I've been thinking about doing, I don't know why I would do it. Do it. Strike a blow for normalcy. Uh, and we're all going to get together soon. So many good things coming up that that you will go to Apple Podcasts and you will try to give us yes. six stars. Right. You won't be able to, so you'll have to give us five. And by the way, <coughs> you can give us five stars today. I'm not even going to tell you why. You know why. Go do it. Go do it. You want to do it. It's been great fun. Thanks to the guests. Thanks to Peter and Rob. We'll see you in the comments. Next week.
Join the conversation.